Hey everyone, my guest today, Michael Paul Stevenson, got really, really lucky, and then in a way got really, really unlucky. He was the child star of one of the worst movies ever made, and that hung over him for a long time. But at a certain point, he turned those lemons into lemonade in a way that very, very few child performers, certainly ones known for being in horrible movies, ever have. His achievement in making this a 180 truly stands alone. And we talk about that today, as well as his recent release, The Attack of the Murder Hornets. And if you heard about Murder Hornets last year, you might have already forgotten about them. They were one of many stories that hit us hard in waves that sounded insane and unreal. And it's probably the one that turned out the least real for the most people. But the documentary brings up just how real this threat was for certain people. And Stevenson weaves in his own knowledge of cinema and style in the retelling of it. So while we talk about his making the doc attack of the murder hornets as well as his other projects the real lesson buried in here you'll find as you listen to michael is what inspires him to be involved what he's witnessed firsthand that makes him believe that the work is worth doing and it's pretty inspiring so check it out My first question usually to any guest is about how they got started or what inspired them in the industry. But with you, I feel like you've done, you kind of jumped around in a bunch of different areas. And I'm curious, more so specifically, what made you want to make documentaries? Because you were already working. I mean, you know the backstory, obviously, of, of being the, the, the child star of Troll 2. Wow. Yes, well, I, I I do, and I want to get to that, but I think our audience might not. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, so I I mean, I'll I'll, I'll give you I'll, I'll try to give you the the abbreviated version of of what led me towards making uh, documentaries or nonfiction, and it started I as as a child I loved acting. I started doing stage when I was six. It was sort of my sport, right? It annoyed my parents but it was the sort of thing that I loved. And it just so happens that the first movie audition I ever went on was for a film called Troll 2. Uh, actually, it wasn't called Troll 2 at that time. It was simply called Goblin, but that's that's later in the story. Uh, Troll 2, I ended up getting the, the, the starring role uh, in the film. And... For me, I thought it was a very, it was a big deal. Like here, this was a dream. And, um, so, you know, uh, found myself in, in the middle of nowhere, Utah with Italian filmmakers making a film about vegetarian goblins attempting to turn my family into uh, plant mush. Uh, and it was a dream. Like it was a real dream. And I thought, you know. How old were you? Uh, I was 10, uh, just about 10 and a half, actually. But, you know, I thought, like, I was making a movie, like, this was a big deal, and got done with the film, 
I kind of just expected that a couple of months later, we'd all go to the cinema or the theater and we'd watch my movie. And it didn't happen that way. It uh, was a year later, Christmas morning, I'm unwrapping presents and I unwrap this VHS of this film called Troll 2. And I was confused and thought, well, what is, what's this? And my mom says, Michael, it's your movie. Let's, let's put it in and watch it. And I turned over the VHS and there's my face screaming, you know, picture of my face screaming on the back of it. And we put in my movie for the first time. And uh, my dad said, it wasn't more than a minute into it. And my dad's like, oh, Michael, this is a terrible, terrible movie. (laughs) (laughs) And you were about 11. Uh, I was about 11 at that time. I just, I want to, I want to go back to one part of this, which is, was your dad, your dad, you, you say your parents were not encouraging of this pursuit, right? Was there, was, when when you got the movie, were they like, were they on board and excited and was they there a were, studio they, were yeah, they on they, set with you or a studio teacher like <laughs> they were excited um but again it was more f- in supporting my interests as a kid like they would have much rather me just play soccer on saturday morning cool. right? okay yeah but i mean you got you know you know they, they but they weren't like stage parents where they were like okay this is huge and, you know, no huge. no and fortunately not and that's i i because i saw i mean i coming up in the industry i saw some really dark stuff between parents and kids. And honestly, the reason why I didn't end up like a lot of the the kids I grew up with in the industry was because my, my parents, right? Um, uh, yeah. And I, and I, you know, I asked that also to illustrate like that. It's a really tough, like the, the majority of stories of kids who get work and start working, the stories don't go well. It's your story is a good one. (laughs) Can you you imagine like hitting the peak of your career at 13 years old? Right. Like what, what, how, how that, and then not having a support group. Fortunately, that was not me. I did not hit the peak of my career. (laughs) So, So I did the opposite and that movie came out and then I was, I was humiliated. I was really embarrassed by it. Like I went on to do other acting stuff. And did I you, did, can I, you tell me again, like, just because, you know, your dad says it's not a great movie, Michael, did you recognize that at 11? It's harder. I think sometimes at 10, 11 to identify, but do you, were you aware of it? Were you like, Oh man. Oh yeah. 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 No, at that time, because in my mind I was like, well, maybe, you know, I thought, I don't know. I thought it was like, I'm making the next, I don't know, poltergeist or ET sure. one thing in my brain. Right. So it's different. And then all of a sudden you see, you know, uh, goblins running in potato sacks yeah. with, with masks that are far from believable. It was an immediate like, Oh, this is not movie magic. Uh, right. and yeah, so I knew, and then it was, re- it was continually, you know, I, 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 at that time it was like, oh boy, okay, not a good movie. I'll just, you know, keep acting. Um, and but Troll Two never went away. Strangely, like I had, I had an uncle. So just to kind of tell you where my brain was at at that time, once I realized it was what it was, I went to the TV guide and the Sunday newspaper every week, hoping. Because soon after that, it was programmed on HBO late night television. And every week I hoped that I would not see Troll 2 listed. And it it was continually. And the way they graded it 
they had, you know, a star system. But then below the half star, there was an icon of a turkey. And every time there was the turkey and every week or so, my uncle would call me and say, Michael, your terrible movie's on again. And they won't stop playing it. Oh, man. (laughs) I can't imagine. I mean, it's funny, but that's the part where I start to get sad because as a kid, that's the last thing you need, right? That must have been awful. (laughs) It's true. I mean, it it just must have been an extremely painful, yeah, it was, it was embarrassing and was like, uh, and you know, and I, I, I got cast in other things that were, were on, on the surface seemed more notable, but in the end really weren't strangely like the way that troll Two, the irony of it all is, and this goes to your question of well, how I got into docs was, you know, I always wanted to be a filmmaker. Like I early on, even while I was acting, I had a uh, I had a Sony TRV 900, and I was recording everything. And in my brain, I was always like, I want to make movies. And as I grew up, I, I I grew up skateboarding, and so I was making the skate films and and acting, and uh, um, always wanted to tell stories, and um, ended up. Uh, moving to LA, oh, I don't know, it was probably 16 years ago. Oh, where did yeah. you grow up? Uh, I grew up in Utah. Yeah. I okay. And where did Troll 2 shoot? How did they well, cast you if you were in Utah? That's, it, that's well, so it shot in Utah. So, ah. so um, Utah at that time was actually pretty uh, prolific for uh, film production just because of the tax incentive program. I was living in Utah. Uh, that's where I grew up and the Italians ended up in Utah of all places to make their horror movie. And so I auditioned there and we filmed it just outside of park city over the course of about three weeks. Got it. So moved to LA and, and, and I was writing at the time and I was, and this is like a older, now we're talking more like your twenties or that's right. I would have been 27 at this point, 26, maybe. Uh, and the dream was make films. And uh, I was writing something. I was writing in just a narrative at the time. And I was working, I was editing and shooting and working a lot of different odd jobs. And uh, out of nowhere, I started getting messages from kids on MySpace of all places. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah you, we all remember MySpace. And these messages were are you the kid from troll two? And, uh, it was this moment of like, Oh my, this thing, this movie is never going to go away. What is going on? And what was interesting, it was all around this period of time where, uh, these kids were contacting me and they'd send me pictures of them, like having parties and dressing up and pissing on food or whatever it was. Right. And, um, it, they all thought they were the only ones doing it. And all of a sudden I had this moment where, I woke up one morning and I I was talking to my wife. I'm like, I'm the child star of the worst film ever made. Like, there's a great, <laughs> <laughs> there's, there, there's a great story here and I can make it now. I don't have to... I don't have to wait. I can, I can pick up a camera now. And this was before all the screenings. It's before it became a phenomenon. And then that led to about four years of chasing that story. And it was that dark that put a, a blip on 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 the radar for me as best a best worst movie right? yeah yeah um yeah well you tell the story well i i 
it's amazing. You know, we're, we're about the same age. If when I was, I grew up in LA. If when I was 10, I was cast in something, I would have been over the moon. And I can only imagine what the whole experience is like of having that uh, happen, having it turn bad or the realization, still wanting to be in the industry, coming out here and then finding it chasing you. <laughs> and if I remember correctly around that time that, the, you know, if the movie came out 2009, so it would have been like 2005, I think it sounds like, right? That you right. were like, okay, I'm going to do this. Right. There was such a fascination in the culture here in Los Angeles, like the bad movies of the air, like MS uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000, like growing up on stuff like that. Or yeah. like, I remember friends getting together and watching screening of things like uh, everything from Manos to the Hands. Like bad movies are a culture unto themselves. And of course, The Room ended up being the thing that like blew up on another scale. But the idea that you saw all that happening you truly turned lemons into lemonade. <laughs> like, I mean, and that's like with an awareness. And I think that the degree of difficulty on that is worth mentioning because God, so many people like, you know, around, like the kid who plays Anakin Skywalker. Like oh, yeah. there's so many, there's so many bad stories and oh, there's yeah. so many situations where you can't, people can't get over either the ego, the self-awareness. Like there's so many traps here and somehow somewhere within you, you, you like avoided all that and you turned it into a really good, funny, self-aware <laughs> thing that, that launched a career for you really. Right. So I think it's amazing. Like, and, and I, you know, the question I guess is like, cause we're, t cause now you have a new one out attack of the murder hornets, which we're here to talk about, but the experience of making that doc where you're like, docs are the thing. This is what I want to do. I love this. Yeah. So I, it's, it's funny because like, I made best worst movie because I, I could, and, and it felt like, it felt like it was something I could pick up my camera and, and, and shoot. And this was before anything had happened uh, with respect to the screenings or any of the phenomenon. It just felt, or it felt like something was about to happen and I was, and I could capture it. Um, it, it, I, I love docs and I love nonfiction and like, you know, it's like, I love like gray gardens is one of my favorite movies ever. And an American movie, obviously like I love I was going to say like how many yeah. times, like I used to watch American movie constantly because oh, yeah. every struggle yeah. to make a movie, like yeah. I loved it. And so I, I would imagine you've spent a lot of time <laughs> with American movie as well. Yes, very much so. And you know, like my second doc was uh, obviously the American scream and my first doc's best worst movie. And nobody, and nobody knows, but in my mind, I was always like between the two uh, I'm paying homage to American movie and I love that film uh, on a number of levels and I love be, but 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 primarily because of characters and the thing with docs I never got into it like oh I'm gonna just make docs I'm drawn to characters and it just so happens the best worst movie obviously has some in my next film also I focused on characters and then you know, after that, I did a I did a Netflix uh, dark comedy that was scripted with Bob Odenkirk. Yeah, completely, completely different. And then this is a doc, obviously. And so I, I kind of am in this space where it's like I don't really care what the format is or the or or, or the genre. You know, it's like this is this wasn't even in my head. Attack of the Murder Hornets wasn't even in my head as like, oh, this is a natural history doc. I was like, I just want to tell character stories. And, um, 
that's that's the thing that gives me enough gas to see it through to the end is if i if i can get engaged with the people that i'm that i'm centered on within my stories then it it will fascinate me until i finish and that's the only thing that keeps me interested how how much so you know best worst movie you're a character how i mean your experience of it and even your retelling of it how much of that plays into your perspective as a character obviously girlfriend's day is a little separate but as a filmmaker as the man behind the camera and then i also want to ask what camera did you shoot best worst movie on back in 2005 so best worst movie uh we sh- i shot it on uh, dvx 100a i remember um, that one yeah <laughs> i was so excited because it was like 23.98 frames per se- you know it was really like yeah yeah know, what you're watching so loved that and ended up the other person that was shooting with me of all people, this wonderful gal named Katie Graham, who's also a filmmaker now, uh, they, her and her boyfriend were just fans of troll too. And early on, <laughs> and early on they had made a sort of viral video that made troll Two look like this very endearing, like, uh, a drama kind of like little miss sunshine or something it was brilliant and they sent it to me and i was like i need help in this documentary and so all of a sudden we were all over the world trying to make this thing so um i knew i knew at the beginning i didn't want like i again i'm like i love characters and i knew at the beginning even though i was the kid in this movie that my role was limited in terms, I didn't want to turn the camera on me and be like, Hey, this is my, I'm going to tell you about my story. Like I wanted to get people into the story, but it was a moment that I actually had in New York. It was the very first screening of troll two at the upright citizens brigade theater. And I remember thinking they invite, they soon after kids contacted me on MySpace. all of a sudden the UCB emails me and is like, Hey, we're doing the screening. We really love it. If you would come. And I thought, well, shoot, like this, I've got to, I have to go because now I'm making a documentary about it. So I went and I was in the cab with George going towards the theater and there was a line wrapped around the block. And we didn't think it was for Troll 2. We got out of the car, we're walking <laughs> towards the theater and the line erupted with pure joy because they recognized George, the guy who played my father in the film. (laughs) And I remember it raining and George's face just being like, Michael, come on, this is great. And he (laughs) ran over and everyone's like high-fiving him and he's signing autographs. And I'm standing in this rainy street and I'm like, this guy was in Alabama yesterday drilling cavities. Like this, (laughs) (laughs) this is the story. And that was the moment where I was like, wow, this is his movie ultimately. And um, yeah. I love that. That's the thing that I love about your movie, but also like what the American movie thing, which is like, we laugh, but there's something so it's like Ed Wood, you know, that's one of the best narrative versions of it. But you know, there's a the magic, like you said, there was the movie magic when you were on the set of Troll 2, but then, but the movie magic is there eventually. Like, it's a beautiful thing, right? Like, yes. like uh, Mark Borchard's commitment to his yeah. thing is yeah. beautiful and so relatable. And, yeah. uh, and I love that. I love that anecdote of seeing him signing the autographs and just loving every second of it. Well, and let's face it, like, you know, I, and I don't know why, as you were speaking, it kind of sparked in that, like, 
filmmaking and the creative process, it's it's a it's a messy process, right? Like warts and all, failure, oh, yeah. starts, all these sorts of things. But you rarely get a look at that. And a lot of times when you're seeing making ofs or this or that, it's it 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 doesn't include warts and all. It's the success of it all. And, and you, and it's not that way. Like it's, it's, and so things like American movie where you realize, man, just how passionate they are, but what a look it is into, uh, uh, just that process, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Best movie, same thing. Like just the, 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 the process of it all. Uh, It's a look at how difficult it is. Yeah. All you have is the dream. Yeah. Like you have nothing else. You may not have the full knowledge. You certainly don't have the money. You may not have the IP or the content. You may not have all you have is the wish. Yeah. And how hard how far can the wish take you? Yeah. And sometimes not very far. And that's okay too. But we just love that. You know, yeah. and that that's what like talking your story about him in the rain signing it is like, it's beautiful. That's just a that's what it is. Like it's almost better and purer than the version that's that's the highest end success. It's um, true. I'd agree. Yeah, no, I agree. But so you follow what it feels like is you follow people and murder hornets is a great example of like, you know, it was a buzzy thing. It was this crazy thing happening, right? It was the whole idea was, Oh my God, another absurd thing. And I think just when people hear murder hornets, they're like, what is it? Is it, you know, fiction is somebody like, (laughs) and I think what, what's great about it is that you found a funny, sweet human side within a story that was kind of like crazy and absurd, right? Yeah. Well, that makes me happy. I mean, it is, it is, you know, when I read the headline similar in the New York Times, it was like, oh, wow, now we have murder hornets. Like we were all having a horrible moment uh, where nobody was going anywhere. And I read that, I read that article and, and then I was drawn into the characters who were against, you know, who were basically against all odds expected to try to stop this. And I had never considered, well, what does it mean to try to stop an invasive species? Like this seems almost impossible, right? And it just so happens that it's a giant hornet and it just so happens that there's no resources. And it's just, so, I mean, and so I, I think in looking back, like that's that is that that has been same best worst movie you know uh american scream uh, attack of the murder hornets like they it's it all starts with this for me this feeling of interesting characters who are facing almost impossible odds right and and the dream may be uh to to make a you know a, a horror movie from an Italian director who, who it's his real passion project or the dream may be to, to make a haunted house and to be successful in the haunted house industry, or the dream may be, I want to, I, I, I want to eradicate a species. All those things are very, very hard, if not impossible. Uh, and so I think that was initially like this, you know, this feeling of like, how is this going to work? Uh, uh, and it was a mix. It was a mixture of of scientists and beekeepers and and these folks who were like on the front lines of this, of something that could become a very big problem for the country. Yeah, I mean they're also trying to protect their own turf, right? Like the yeah. dream was like, how do we on our own without like 
I think that's also a through line. Like yeah. people without a lot of resources or without like on yeah. their own kind of on the front line of something that are just yeah. like, okay, we'll do our best, which is like endearing, hysterical, sad. Like it's this whole mixture of human <laughs> so feelings. True. And it's and so- that's the thing that like, that I think carries it through. It's like, who are these poor people that right. have like, <laughs> just like suffering in this <laughs> circumstance? Like, and I think that uh, it's people shouldn't get distracted by or lost in the whole, like what the, the national narrative of murder hornets was, which from a big far away perspective, it's almost like, was that even real? Like, did that, was that a real thing or did someone just make that up one day? But this is like the human, like, no, some people actually really suffered with this. Right. I mean, you had to, you got in the suit, you got stung, right? <laughs> I got stung by bees uh, of all, of all, of all things, believe it or not. I, nobody got stung by a hornet. Fortunately, that wouldn't have been good. Uh, and the only time I wore the actual hornet suit, which is crazy. The, the hornet suit looks kind of like a Mercury space suit. Like it's insane <laughs> it's, looking. It's very, it's true. It's a wild, I think Colbert actually said we looked like shaved Teletubbies. Uh, um but a very wild yeah suit that uh um we only got in i we got in when we were you know actually eradicating the nest um prior to that i was in bee suits if i was around bees and and the only time i got stung actually was we were shooting bees at night and there's a swarm and you you you're out there and it's dark and the bees are swarming you and it makes this incredibly beautiful sound like place it it kind of vibrates like the blood inside of you like it just feels really weird and all of a sudden i look and i see and i'm and i see uh this hornet crawling up my face net and i focus on it like right in front of my nose and i focus on it and all of a sudden and and i'm like wait 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 a minute this thing is actually on the inside of my suit and minute, you know, seconds after that, I got stung. And then I had left a tiny little hole open in my bee suit. And within like a minute, I had seven or eight stings. <laughs> uh, so that was the only time so that I got stung. Uh, and it was because my own stupidity. Uh, yeah. But that's how simple it is for them to get in. Yeah. Um, but the hornets are actually pretty scary. Like they decapitate the bees. They have these crazy stingers. Right? They're like, yeah. they're no joke. And they, they, <laughs> Even they, though it became a joke, they are no joke. They, they not only sting you and can like multiple times, but they spray venom. You know, they, I'll, I won't forget the first time seeing one because it really is this impressionable creature where it's just so robust you look at it and you're like, wow, this thing is, I mean, this could re, I mean, it just feels like a toy or it feels like a, just feels like a, a weird alien species. Right. Uh, and there's such character, like you look at their face and the character is just like, I'm going to mess you up. You know? Yeah. There, that's why it lends itself so much, <laughs> like even beyond the name to the sci-fi horror right. stuff right. of an era, right. which is they, they embody it. Right. Right. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You know, I want to jump back though and talk about because we're talking about the docs making girlfriends day for Netflix, which is a movie with a great cast I mean, Bob Odenkirk, Amber Tamblyn, Stacey Keach, to name and there's others, Andy Richter. Like, how did this come about? Like, and this stands apart in your in your resume, right? Well, it was interesting. I was I was actually editing the American Scream, which was my second doc. And I was having a conversation with my wife around actors who we felt had really strong dramatic sensibilities who were primarily known in, you know, the comedic comedic space. And we were doing the dumb thing where we were writing names down on our whiteboard. And at that time it was like season two of Breaking Bad. So, so we knew Bob from Mr. Show and from his comedy days. And then we saw Breaking Bad happen and it was like more and more of the general public was getting to know this guy and we were huge fans. And so like I wrote down on my whiteboard, I was like, man, this Bob Odenkirk would be amazing. Again, this was season two of Breaking Bad. He just showed up basically, right? Yeah. As I was editing three weeks later, the AV club uh, did an interview with Bob. I believe it was the AV club. And they asked him what some of his favorite films were. And he named Best Worst Movie. (laughs) So it was this moment of like, what? And so we got in touch. Turns out his son was a big Troll 2 fan. (laughs) You know, just bizarre. And I was like, hey, I'm finishing my second doc. Totally different, but we're going to show it in LA. Would love to have you come. And he's like, I'd love to come. And I just kind of thought, oh, you know, he won't come. And sure enough, he did. And he was there early. And it was at the Cine family in LA and um, he starts talking to me. He's like, look, he's like, I got this really weird uh, script that will never get made, but I'd love for you to take a look at it, you know? And, and he starts telling me about girlfriend's day. And uh, at that time, so soon after that, he sent me the script and uh, at that time, I read it and was just like taken by just how it, it was. It was it was like so many genres <laughs> within one movie, and was like, man, this is hard and challenging, and and it's a story about a failed greeting card writer in this greeting card world who gets thrust into this uh, web of murder and deceit, and it's dark and it's light. It just felt. And of course, working with Bob, it was like, this feels like a dream. So we went through a period of trying to get that made. And then ultimately Netflix became what it is. You know, this was early Netflix. Like this, I think, was one yeah. of the early, early original movies. And um, and then it got to the point to where it, w- it, it was inevitable. And Netflix was like, yeah, we'll do it. And we ended up shooting it in L.A. Uh, over the course of 20 days. Uh, wow, and- 20 days. Yeah. Um, it's funny because, yeah, so uh, Bob wrote it with a, another Mr. Yeah. Show. Yeah. Right. And so it's just funny thinking, yeah, I knew of Bob growing up watching, watching Mr. Show, loving it, thinking he was hilarious, but he was not like major on the radar. 
And then sometime in the aughts, like I worked a few times on stuff Bob was directing because he was doing a bunch of internet shorts and I was just around the comedy world. So I interacted and worked with him a few times. And then when when uh, Breaking Bad happened and he was in this serious role and everybody in the world starts talking about Bob and you're just like, Bob Odenkirk is the funny guy from Mr. Show. Like, this is so weird. But what I love about your whiteboard thing and identifying this, and of course, there's a lot of serendipity that follows, which is like, he loved your movie. He, you saw each other at the screening. But you had this thought of, it's a great lesson for anybody out there. Like, who is looking to make perhaps or capable of making a career move, a jump? that I can help facilitate or be involved in like actors who have the ability to get behind a project. That's kind of how you end up getting something made in a lot of cases. So your thought process, your experiment of who's like that, who would be interesting to, to stretch with. And it worked out, you know, that someone on your list ended up being someone who was a fan of yours. But just making that list is great. That's a great way to approach. Like, what do I want to do? How do I want to get the next thing made? It's wild. I mean, and, and also to, I mean, you know, Bob showed such trust and support early on that it was like, I, I can't, I, he never, it was so, it was remarkable because it's not as though he never questioned me. I just continually questioned myself like, wait, what, what? are you sure? Like, I'm going to screw all this up <laughs> for whatever reason. Like he just didn't. And that was a big, yeah. that was a big deal. I, I mean, I think people who see him now, you know, between Better Call Saul, Nebraska, and he's got the new one coming out, people don't realize that he put so much effort into helping develop talent. Like he EP'd countless comedy pilots. Um, he worked with so many people I know and helped develop them or helped try to champion them. And he put himself in so much stuff. He directed stuff or he acted, like just always trying to build up basically like a minor leagues, but also just get himself out there. So he's like, he's worked to get to here. Like he's continually. So I, I I was like, we see the tip of the iceberg, you know, he's one of those examples. That was another huge example, which for me was, I'm so grateful for is he works hard, right? Like he is continually working and he is his output across so many different lanes is just never one thing, which is, which is kind of inspiring. And you, you hear early on in your career, sometimes at some point, like you got to find the one thing and make that the best thing and be as passionate as you can about that one thing at least I heard this. And I, now I look at him like, no, you need to find 12 things. Like, <laughs> you know, like, because that's, it's just how the business is. You have to really be c- continually working and developing. Cause when one project pauses or stops or dies, another one begins. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's no, he, it it's true. He planted so many seeds and I yeah. walked like I was around a lot of them. That yeah. like some of them went nowhere, but but eventually stuff grew in that garden, like yeah. crazy stuff no one would have expected. But like he just put so much out there, and I just watch it. I watch him throw himself hard into directing little internet shorts that had like a three person crew and two people in the cast. Like I watched, yeah. like the guy, he took it all seriously. So, but it, I mean, I think that that vibe is part of what you're talking about. It's it's like yeah, and and he doesn't. It, it's not as though, oh, it's, it's you know, I, I remember when we were making Girlfriend's Day, you know, there was talk 
rumors. He was getting talking rumors about Saul, better call Saul. And it was at that point, it was a joke to him. He's like, I can never, what? This is ridiculous. This will never happen. (laughs) And like, and, and it was just nothing more than sort of like, oh, funny, but not. And I, and I remember thinking, I I don't know, like, Bob, like, you're, you know, this, this, this is going to happen. But it was, it was interesting because he doesn't, it's, it was, he doesn't take, things too seriously either like i mean yeah. I think you can get so precious about everything and this and that and and, and bob is an incredible example of just being like let's work hard do our best and then we'll do it again on the next thing it can be completely different we'll just keep working yeah um like so tell me that i want to get back before we wrap to attack of the murder hornets again because it's out um it's covered like it's a movie but it's also like a, a piece of science like like it's kind of crossing over a little bit like what has the response been and like what's been interesting about experiencing it being out in the world as a person who's you know made narrative films docs but but really you're in the entertainment industry this is kind yeah. of about things that go beyond entertainment obviously this is a step out you're not a nature documentary. Well, no. yeah, that's the thing. It's funny because <laughs> I've had folks that have been like, oh, did you, were you considered considering that you were making a natural history documentary? And, and you know what? I, I, I wasn't like, in my mind, I was making from the very beginning, I was making a character driven story that was centered on around people trying to stop the threat of a giant hornet. And never in my mind, I knew I would, obviously, I would encounter science and learn a lot of great things about beekeepers and hornets, but never in my mind was like, oh, I'm making a natural history doc. And and I think from the beginning, it was also like, this feels like a stranger than fiction, sci-fi, drama, horror movie. Like the first piece of art I created around it was like reminiscent of like a, like a them, like a fifties horror movie or something where it had a gigantic hornet hovering above my scientist. So in in my head, it was always like, I am, I am making a, uh, you know, again, a character, a character driven piece, uh, just different world. Their world happens to be hornets and invasive species. And I think like whether it's whatever it is, I don't get drawn to like political issues or specific topics per se. I get drawn to like what's at stake with these people, right? And if I can if I can relate to them and, and have a genuine respect for them, then what happens is is the themes that they care about the science that's at hand, the topics, all of that gets smuggled in through, through entertainment. And ultimately I think that's the power of why of, of, of entertainment is if you can relate, if you can create something that not only engages people on a human level, but gets them to, you know, have a slightly different perspective on the world or, or some of the things that these people encounter within their world now all of a sudden people are learning science or they're considering the impact of bees or all of a sudden they're like, man, public service, like people, these guys are heroes, you know, and that's the sort of thing that I get excited about. So did, was discovery involved the whole way through or did they acquire you? At a no. Point? So, so it's funny. because I, I read the, I read the article in New York times was immediately like kind of, I had this challenge of like, well, I can't go anywhere. So what can I create? 
around it. Like <laughs> I wanted to do something. So I ended up Zooming with some of the scientists and doing some research and putting it together. And then I was going to pitch it. And um, my wife was like, why not Discovery? And I was like, this was before nobody even knew about this. This was like June or July. The Discovery Plus wasn't even a thing. And I was like, ah, I never worked with Discovery. Like I had never had an experience with them. And, and, and so I thought, okay, well, uh, yeah, why not? And ended up Zooming. My first meeting with them was with my executive producer, Howard Schwartz, and ended up Zooming with them from my closet. And <laughs> uh, we really connected. Uh, like I felt this incredible support creatively right off the bat. And Howard was really into horror and genre movies. And it, it went so like beyond, like I, beyond how, how, you know, like I, I thought it was, I, I look, to be honest, going into it, I thought there's no way discovery is going to get behind a film about a giant hornet and the zoom went so well. And I had my wife and kids, I had them leave the house cause it was just madness. And they, came, <laughs> and they came back, know and, <laughs> you know, and my wife came back and she's like, well, how did it go? And I, 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 I like, I had this moment, I'm like, I it really like, I think the next movie is going to, I'm going to make is going to be about this giant hornet. <laughs> and, and you have to understand like weeks prior to that wasn't even in my head. Was it hadn't even thought about it. It's crazy. And uh, and then next thing I knew, we were headed to Northern Washington. And uh, even at that time, you know, like there's no you step in. There wasn't a guarantee we'd find a single hornet. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so you're out on a limb and discovery like and Howard. I mean, I felt nothing but positivity and support and encouragement and even just like, you know, even creatively uh, early on in one of our early meetings, Howard was like, well, are you, are you guys going to shoot drones? I was like, yeah, we'll shoot drones. We're going to shoot some stuff from the woods and we're going to create this atmosphere. It kind of pays a little bit of nod to horror films. He's like, well, what about Hornet POV with a drone? And to be honest, I had, I'd considered drones, but I'd never considered having a drone that would articulate in such a way that would be flying through narrow spaces in the forest and like, a, like, you know, whatever, like a Hornet. And at that moment it was like, well, shoot, I can't let Howard down. So now I've got to figure out racing drones and figure out how I can get smaller drones into some of these spaces. So, so this, the, 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 it was a dream working yeah. with discovery on this. I know it was just a continual reinforcement of like, you know, uh, we support this. We support you. We believe in the story. We believe in you. All of these. It, it was really incredible. It's just so cool. And then we talk a lot about how all these streamers and how, you know, Discovery, for example, gets into the original content business. All these things create new opportunities for people, new avenues where there's a niche that it might fit with and places where you can be creative and the creativity is fostered. And this is just the perfect example of that, which is like, you never would have saw it coming in a mo in the business model of 10, 15, 20 years ago, you would have had limited places to take it, but this is the perfect place. Like, right. and they love it and they want to do it and they want to do it the way you want to do it. Like right. and that is something that comes about because of the way the industry is kind of nichifying. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's true. Um, well, that's really cool. So people can watch it on 
uh, Discovery Plus, right? Yeah, people are just starting to um, uh, just starting to discover it, which is exciting. You know, again, you 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 make something, and you really, me at least, like you, you really get obsessed with it and the world and the characters, and then you just hope that some point in time somebody watches it uh and which is a far cry from checking tv guide filled with dread (laughs) isn't it yeah sunday to make sure to find out if we're gonna see you with trolls yeah but again that ended up being an amazing thing that you turned you turned that into lemonade right i mean i mean if you that's that and and i can't tell here's how much it's it's screwed me up, George. Is I cannot, I can no longer tell you that Troll Two is a bad film, right? Like <laughs> Troll Two is actually one it has a, not only afforded me with experiences that I've never would have imagined, but I've created relationships with people that I will hold with me till the day I die, right? Like, and then career-wise, personally, I mean, it's like I owe everything <laughs> to <laughs> Claudio Fragasso uh, making his film about these guys. Like, it, it is, it is, it's wild. And it's just But sort it's of- also amazing because what can so easily destroy people and destroy lives, literally, <laughs> or destroy careers, destroy lives. Like, I mean, childhood stardom destroys people. It's tragic. Yeah. Yeah, but it, let alone in something that like it cre- it was a place of creation for you. That's a pretty overwhelming and powerful thing. Um, so it's a beautiful story and a funny one. But <laughs> but congratulations on the film and and thanks so much for for coming on, George. It's a pleasure. I uh, yeah really enjoy talking to you and and uh, thanks for the thoughtfulness and and of course well, and watching the movies in the first place. <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks, Michael, for coming on the show. I'm a huge fan of bad movies, but I love a redemption story. And it's just so cool to me that Michael took something that would bury most people and parlayed that, leveraged that into an exciting new career that is really still just blossoming um, with Murder Hornets and with whatever comes next. So that's always exciting to see happen in the real world to know that just because things aren't going well or just because you've created something that people don't like people really don't like doesn't mean you're done you can get up off the mat and impress us all be sure to check out all kinds of stories on nofilmschool.com make sure to check out our gear guides if you're interested in buying any kind of gear or learning about what's available out there the gear guides section is at the bottom of our homepage. You scroll all the way down to the footer, you'll see gear guides. Click on that and you'll see a breakdown of all kinds of tools that we have scoured and reported on for you to make the decision about what to buy. And of course, we have our weekly podcast on the same feed. Make sure to like, rate, and subscribe and leave a comment to let us know what you think. Thanks so much. 